0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Crooked Minis is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. Get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp's licensed professional counselors are specialized in the following. Depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, sleeping, trauma, self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential. If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time. There are four communication modes, text, chat, phone, and video, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Crooked Minis listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code Crooked Minis. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash Crooked Minis. Simply fill out a questionnaire, help them assess your needs and get matched with the counselor you'll love. That's BetterHelp.com slash crooked minis.
1: Hey there, everyone. I'm Travel Anderson, Out Magazine's Director of Culture and Entertainment. And in case you forgot, the gender non-conforming bad bitch you never knew existed. Welcome to the final episode of the Pride on Screen mini series. I've had the opportunity over the past three weeks to talk to folks about their experiences growing up and seeing or not seeing themselves reflected on screen. Today, we turn to our trans brothers, sisters, and other siblings. To kick us off, I spoke with GLAD's director of transgender representation, Nick Adams, who has been covering and fighting for these issues since 1998 when he created the transgender section of GLAD's media reference guide. I let him get into some of the numbers and share his first time feeling seen on screen. Take a listen. Alrighty, so with me I have Nick Adams, Director of Transgender Representation at GLAAD. Thanks for joining me.
2: Thanks for having me, Travelle.
1: I've been asking everyone the same question. What is that one, like, moment in media that connected with you first, that you first kind of saw and resonated with and said, like, this, there's something here?
2: Well, as a transgender man um, and growing up, because I'm old, prior to the internet, (laughs) it was very, very difficult for me to find anything that I thought that I saw my identity or my reality reflected in in the media. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really, although I was, you know, casting around and trying to see things like Victor Victoria and Yentl, like, it was just a close, like, approximation, but I knew it wasn't right. So it wasn't until 1997— And I literally snuck off to Outfest to see a documentary called You Don't Know Dick, The Courageous Hearts of Transsexual Men. And it was a documentary about six transgender men. And as soon as I saw them on the screen, that was the first image I'd ever seen of a transgender man. I'd never seen a picture. I'd never seen a news story, nothing with a transgender man before then. And that documentary with those six men, including Jameson Green and Max Valerio Wolf and others was really, as soon as I saw them, I knew that that was me. And one of the six was a gay transgender man. And I was like, oh my God, I can be a man and gay. This is this is me. Um, so yeah, that, that documentary was hugely, hugely important for me in the first Time I really saw myself
1: now we're about to get into our conversation um, with Shar and Zachary um, two wonderful wonderful uh, uh, trans women um, a lot of that conversation focuses on um, trans women. The, this kind of current transgender tipping point that we're having, a lot of the representations we see in media um, are, are trans women, trans feminine people. Um, talk to us a little bit about like what the state of trans representation looks like on on TV, on film. Is it is it good? We know it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, from your vantage point, considering that this is this is your your area of expertise at Glad, what are you seeing?
2: Well, it. I don't think the representations are where we need them to be. Certainly, we still have a long way to go, but they're better than they ever have been Mm -hmm. in the sense that there are more of them. And they're really beginning to start to look more like authentic trans characters, particularly since all but one of them is played by a transgender actor. So, um We currently have, as of today, uh, 16 transgender characters on TV. That's 16 more than there were in 2014 before Orange is the New Black premiered on Netflix. So, but there are over 400 lesbian, gay, and bisexual characters on TV. So we have over 400 LGB characters. We have only 16 transgender characters. And those 16 transgender characters on TV are only on, they they appear on 11 shows. (laughs) Because five of them are on Pose, incredible. And two of them are on Transparent. So... Of those 11 shows, you know, I think it's safe to say that millions and millions and millions of people have never seen those 11 shows. There's so much content out there. So we haven't yet reached a tipping point where trans characters are so integrated into so many different types of shows on all the different types of platforms that I feel like I can say that, uh, you know, Americans are— are becoming accustomed to seeing those trans characters as part of the, the shows that they sit down every week to watch or binge when it comes out on a streaming platform. So it's definitely improved, but we have a long way to go. Um, of those 16 characters that are on TV right now, 11 of them are transgender women and five of them are on Pose. And I think it's incredibly important that we have these stories of transgender women um, and trans feminine people in the media because I think trans women and trans feminine people take the brunt of the transphobia that society has to dish out Mm -hmm. and there's so much ignorance and misunderstanding about who trans women are and the more we can tell their stories hopefully that will begin to change there are only three trans men on tv and those three are one that just um told his mom that he was a boy on Good Girls at the sort of end of this most recent season. So that character is played by Isaiah Standard, who's a young uh, teenage trans boy, but we haven't seen much of his story yet. The other trans man on TV is Alex Blue Davis's character Casey on Grey's Anatomy, and the third one is Ian Alexander's character Buck on The OA. And as of today, there are also two non-binary characters on TV. There's the character that Asia Kate Dillon plays on Billions, and the character that Lachlan Watson plays on The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Although I'm not entirely sure whether that character is going to turn out to be non-binary or trans boy. Oh, and there's also, by the way, Danny the Street on Doom Patrol, who is a sentient street who is genderqueer and uses they-them pronouns, and I can't speak highly enough. Of that character it was actually a really amazing thing in a really strange show, but an awesome show. So that's where we're at right now in terms of non-binary representation, which is good that we have some and that non-binary actors are playing them. But both of those characters are white and both of those characters are assigned female at birth. So it's not really be- even beginning to represent the diversity within the non-binary community. So when it comes to transmasculine visibility... You know, we mostly deal with invisibility, Mm -hmm. and there is a price to be paid for invisibility as well. So, for the last decade, I've run a support group for trans youth here in LA. And when the teenagers come into the group, you know, especially the boys, you know, we're a people who just want to see ourselves reflected back to us from screens. I don't know why that is, right. but if that were not true, <laughs> Hollywood wouldn't exist. And we want to see ourselves. And when we see ourselves reflected back in these stories, we feel like there's a place for us somewhere in the culture. And when tra- young trans boys look to the media to see themselves and they see nothing, they really have a hard time thinking what their future could be. And more than one of them has come to the group and said that the first thing they watched when they thought they might be trans was boys don't cry. hmm Which is a powerful film, but, you know, he gets raped and murdered at the end. And I don't want that to be the only high profile Academy Award winning trans masculine image that trans boys can turn to to see themselves. And of course, there are things on YouTube and various places where trans people connect and see themselves. But When a trans kid is watching something on YouTube, their parents aren't watching that. The other kids at their school aren't watching that. The people in their church aren't watching that. So it's not having that culture-changing effect that I think mass media can have.
1: What would you say is, like, we've been talking about LGBTQ representation of the entire community. Um, And I think sometimes people don't know, like, why it's important for us to have these different characters on these shows or in these films what would you say is the is the reason why that visibility and that representation is is important in terms of the the kind of offline potential impact.
2: Yeah, I mean, I work at GLAAD. So I do believe that people's attitudes and opinions toward LGBT people can be changed by what they see in the media. I mean, the most powerful change for people is personally knowing someone who's LGBT. But for trans people right now, only around 20% of Americans think they've ever met a trans person in their real life. More Americans think they've seen a ghost than think they've met a trans person. So they probably have met a trans person. (laughs) Yeah. They probably have met a trans person, but don't know it. So because they don't think they know us um, you know they don't their their heads are filled with this like broken mental template about who transgender people are they don't and it's been partially created by the last several decades of Hollywood telling really twisted distorted stereotypical cliche written, narratives about who trans people are so it's been this self-reinforcing cycle of Hollywood telling people who we are in a really poor way and people believing that that is true and going out and creating more things about us that have no input from trans people I realized the other day that probably 99% of every trans mm, scripted narrative that I've ever seen in my lifetime was written by a cisgender person Mm. probably without any input at all from a transgender person so we haven't even been able to tell our own stories until very recently so when people have not, don't think they haven't met us and their heads are filled with um, misinformation that's been promulgated by the media, they tend to not react well when we do show up in their family or their workplace or their school. So, you know, um, UCLA estimates there are 1.4 million transgender people in the United States. So we could personally go around and introduce ourselves and knock hmm. on the doors and be like 360 million Americans like, hello, I'm transgender. <laughs> now you've met one. But I would rather use the power of mass media to give them a more accurate picture of who transgender people are so that they will begin to see us as just people and that they will react in a better way when someone they know does announce that they're transgender.
1: Now, you mentioned that um, trans women, particularly trans women of color, black trans women, are bearing the brunt of a lot of the of societies like violences that are going on. We've seen the different reports of the the trans women who've been murdered for a variety of different reasons. Um as we're in this moment where LGBTQ visibility, particularly trans visibility, is like the highest ever, we're also seeing, you know, this violence take place as well. I'm wondering for you, um, as, as someone who believes that like these media representations are important for eventually hoping, right, hopefully changing hearts and minds, um, as we saw with like a Will and Grace and gay marriage type of situation, um, how do you grapple with with both of these things happening at the same time?
2: Well, first of all, I know that certainly the violence that trans women of color face, particularly black trans women, is uh, horrifying. And... It seems like there's more now. As someone who transitioned 22 years ago, I'm not sure it really is more now. Right. I'm just, I just think now it's more likely that someone who knew them will speak up, will correct the initial police reports that misgender them or the Thank initial you. news reports that misgender them. And so, even though we know that, you know, 27 to 29 um, transgender women have been killed in the last couple of years, like each year. Um, even that is probably not an accurate number. because right. So it's really hard to know whether it's increasing or decreasing or whatever. But it's, what we do know is it's horrific and there's far too much of it. Whether or not the increased um, visibility of transgender people in both the media and in life is causing a backlash... I don't know that I can really say that for certain to be honest with you. It Mm -hmm. it may, it may be that also since 2016 we've lived in a culture that is encouraging people's worst instincts when it comes to treating marginalized people and people who are different than them in horrific ways. So, I would hope that if there is a backlash that the media's commitment to doing a better job of telling trans stories will eventually overwhelm whatever backlash there is.
1: Mm -hmm. I love that. Last question. It's Pride, 50 years since Stonewall kicked this moment off, I'm wondering, as we are, you know, folks are looking back on the last 50 years of the LGBTQ rights movement, I feel like a lot of the conversations are that the trans community in particular um, is is still behind the LGB, right, uh, in these types of conversations. Where do you think, when it comes to LGBTQ representation, our focus should be as we, we figure out the next 50 years of what this looks like. So I have a couple of thoughts about
2: that. One, I do think that transgender acceptance and transgender media representations are far, far behind where we are in terms of lesbian, gay, bisexual Um, representation and acceptance I think that media representations for transgender people right now are still in a very like pre-ellen pre-will and grace stage like we haven't had that one thing that breaks out that really hits mainstream America in this way that kind of wakes them up and makes them realize that we're just people Um, and so I'm hopeful that we will pose may be coming close I Mm -hmm. mean this season seems the second season particularly of pose has so much buzz you know because people have been able to watch the show on iTunes or Netflix or whatever and I feel like there really here now for the second season and I just watched episode 8 of Tales of the City last night have you watched that yet? yes yes. <sighs> um, I was really moved by that reclamation of trans history and the Compton's cafeteria riots and um, the price that trans women, particularly in the 1960s, had to pay, whether they just to be themselves. And I think that like often when people try to tell stories of trans people in history, it gets really distorted, and mm-hmm. I thought that particular episode did a really good job of capturing more what it would have really been like to be a trans person in the 1960s, and it's not that different today. And so we have made a lot of progress in the last five years. We are still far, far behind lesbian, gay, bisexual media representations, and acceptance. And what I think we need to see going forward is transgender people get their hands on the means of production. So it's wonderful that cisgender creators like Lauren Morelli and Alan Poole are including trans narratives in a show like Tales of the City. Truly wonderful. But it's so powerful to me that Janet Mock is having such a putting her own stamp on Pose along with Our Lady J behind the scenes, telling these authentic stories. And you saw the difference in Hollywood when gay creators began to become showrunners, Mm -hmm. like Greg Berlanti and Ryan Murphy and um, others. And so when we get transgender people who are able to be showrunners and creators and green light films and green light TV series, I think we'll really begin to see transgender representation move fully into the 21st century. Um, It occurred to me the other day, and I can't say for certain that this figure is accurate, but it's pretty close, that I can only think of three feature films written by a transgender person, by Hooker by Crook, by Salis Howard, Drunk Town's Finest by Sidney Freeland, and a film called The Two Adventures of Wolf Boy by Olivia Dufault, which hasn't come out yet. And that's it. Like w- So many feature films have been made with transgender narratives, but transgender people aren't weren't telling that story. And if we were lucky, we got hired to play it in front of the camera. But now we need to be able to write those stories and bring those stories to the big screen as well. And I think when we can be in charge of the content and not sort of following being the tail of the content, that that will be what's important over the next
1: 5, 10, 15 years. And there it is. Thanks so much, Nick. We're going to take a quick pause and we'll be right back.
0: Crooked Minis is brought to you by Sleep Number Beds. I have to say, before we got the sleep number bed, I was, skeptical is the wrong word, but I was like, a bed's a bed, a bed, right? Yeah. This bed, the sleep number bed, they're super comfortable. Very comfortable. And you can track your sleep each night, which is, it's a real journey. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is. And then also, I didn't realize that Hannah and I like totally different settings, but we actually do. I'm I'm like at a max, like 100 or 95, and she's way down. Oh, so I'm uh, like Hannah. Emily's like you. Yeah, so... Maybe you've considered a sleep number bed, but you thought you couldn't afford one. Can you really afford to be tossing and turning on your old mattress, John? No, you feel like shit. You feel like shit. There's never been a better time to save on proven quality sleep. It's the lowest price of the season right now at your nearest sleep number store. So many couples disagree on mattress firmness. Sleep number 360 smart beds let you choose your ideal firmness on each side. So it's just right for both of you. Sleep number 360 beds are so smart. They sense every move and automatically adjust to you keeping you sleeping comfortably throughout the night. Sleep Number has been ranked number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses by J.D. Power. Come in during the lowest prices where a Queen Sleep Number 360 C4 smart bed is now only $1,299. You save 400 bucks only for a limited time. You'll only find Sleep Number at any of the 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest to you at sleepnumber.com slash crookedminis. Life Life is a highway.
1: I want to thank Nick for that quick primer on the state of trans presentation on screen. And now I'm joined by Zachary Drucker and Shar Giselle. Zachary is an artist, activist, and producer, with one of her credits being on that wonderful show, Transparent. And Shar is a fabulous entertainment journalist and host of the YouTube channel, Shar Says So. Enjoy. Well, ladies, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I want to start, you know, we're going to be having a conversation about, like, trans representation in film and, like, the experiences of trans folks off screen. But I want to first start with each of you telling me, like, Shar, the first, like, trans person or trans character that you remember, like, connecting with.
3: For me, um, it was Janet Mock. Mm -hmm. She's the first trans person that I saw in media that I can honestly say that I really connected with. Of course, I was familiar with trans people. I was familiar with Laverne Cox when she was on the Diddy reality show. I was familiar with Isis King. Um I was familiar with Candace Kane mm-hmm. when she was on the ABC show. What was it dirty sexy money? Yes like I was familiar, but as far as like true connection, it wasn't until I was introduced to Janet Mock's story that I was like, wow I, I see we see each other mm-hmm. was, <laughs> it, you know it
1: was part of it because she was also like she was like a journalist she She's was like black. Somebody,
3: yes. yes, yes it was she checked off all of the boxes where it was like a perfect fit as far as me really seeing myself and honestly seeing the possibility, seeing that what could be done and seeing that I didn't have to, um, that I could still live a quote-unquote normal life Mm -hmm. within my transition. I didn't have to be relegated to um, a lot of the tropes that were being force-fed to us as a society as far as how trans people navigate, whether that be based on survival Mm -hmm. or based on just... You know, caricatures, just stereotypes that people have uh, inserted in the media. So, What about for you, Zachary?
4: As a young person, I was exposed to, like, international film and indie film. So there was a few times when I saw my experience, you know, or or what may have resembled my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Ma Vie en Rose was one film. It's a French film about a young, you know, assigned male at birth person who wants to wear a dress and, uh, you know, their femme identity kind of. Uh, is a schism around them for their family and community. Um, I also think of Orlando with Tilda Swinton, um, the Virginia Woolf novel. So this male character kind of, you know, overnight transforms into a woman. Um, There were kind of those nuances. I feel like uh, RuPaul on VH1 Mm -hmm. was really pivotal for me. Definitely seeing, you know, trans folks on talk shows. um, That was, you know... What uh, that was kind of like the most uh egregious and outrageous mm-hmm. kind of um charade around transness. Um you know, I think that witnessing those kind of reinforced um that trans folks were other and were kind of a sensationalized uh experience you saying that
1: reminds me of something um daryl Stevens said in our gay men's episode about um for him a lot of the representations he 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 considered them crumbs right so he considered like yes there were you know gay people in these shows and in these movies but like they weren't complex characters they Mm. were all stereotypes Mm. they were tropes um and i know a couple years ago I put together this, like, timeline of trans representation um, in film and television for the LA Times. And a lot of those early representations were stereotypical right they were the crumbs they they were the crumbs (laughs) they were you know they were serial killers they were cross-dressing transvestites who were trying to deceive you and kill you Mm -hmm. um and i think a lot of people we were talking you know before uh the mic came on about jerry springer um being one of those moments that like a lot of was a lot of people's introduction to trans people so i want to throw to this clip right here
3: giving massages. Yeah, I've been cheating. I've been bringing money in the house to try to support us. You ain't doing it. I'm paying all the bills. I take care of the household. I cook. I clean. That ain't good enough. That is not even good enough. We need money. We need money in our house. I'm trying to adopt kids. How can we have a future and adopt a child because
1: you know I'm a transsexual? I just think you see how it was like her being trans was like it was like a punchline. She said it and you'd be like, oh, and then the audience. She waited react. a beat. Yeah. Yes. Cause right. she knew.
3: She <laughs> knew. She knew what she was brought there for, right? We were I talking about I think the about... most troubling thing is the title, My Sister is Sleeping with My Dad. That was the title of the <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so sorry, she must have been a footnote in all of that sensationalism. But uh mm. Yeah, that it was clearly like she waited a beat. Cause you know I'm a transsexual. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh mm.
3: you know. <laughs>
4: Yeah, the sensationalized reveal. Right.
3: I feel like it was
1: one of those, like, foundational elements in our culture that, like, allowed people to... Uh, to misgender trans mm-hmm. folks to to enact violence, other forms of violence against trans folks because you, you saw trans folks fighting. You saw them getting beat up on Jerry mm-hmm. Springer. You saw folks laughing at them on Jerry Springer. Right. You hardly ever did you see them kind of being loved and uplifted in a yeah. positive way on something like Jerry Springer, which, you know, ran for so many years and was in syndication on all these different channels. And so it was just like, I think that's a lot of people's when we talk about a lot of uh, a lot of cis people not you know quote unquote knowing trans folks mm-hmm. and only seeing trans folks through media, mm. these types of representations these... are what they see. And
3: and you're right because people would take this same energy and then take it out in the streets to mm-hmm. their to the local trans person like they all knew like I know in a lot of Chicago quote unquote hoods like there's at least one or two trans people that the entire community knows, Mm -hmm. you know, that's like living out loud, and then they take that same energy out. And also, you know, uh, Mari contributed to this, too. Mm. Remember, Mari used to have those type of runway-type shows where it's like, I think the theme would be like, Mari, that's a man. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. they try to find the most, quote-unquote, passing trans woman Mm -hmm. and parade them in front of the audience, and the audience kind of had this Mm -hmm. this, uh, sparring match as to what is it? type thing and literally it mm-hmm. I said it on purpose right. you know because that is what uh, that's kind of what it was framed as the show was framed as is and
4: that- you know what's interesting with early talk shows because Jerry Springer all those Chicago girls were on Jerry yeah. Springer early on like there was like a trans beauty pageant that Mimi Marks hosted and it was mm-hmm. in Daytona Beach you can look it I up on Mimi. YouTube mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah Mimi's a goddess yeah um, it's like this is what you know this format of talk show kind of devolved into mm-hmm. also, like it was the thing that was being fed by viewership, tabloid by audience. Right, mm-hmm. it's literally
3: tabloid TV, and everything look, was just heightened and crazy in the 90s. It's
4: just so funny. Like, I think sometimes about how we're fed this myth that culture is neutral.
3: Mm. Mm. And Say more,
1: I, yeah.
4: <laughs> just I mean, watching this, it's such a contrived you know, space, like yeah. it's so specific and they're allowing, you know, the setup that's happening, Um, the way that Jerry is kind of leading the audience into this kind of, you know, the, the entire environment is created um, to shame trans people yeah. in this very public way and it's not neutral at all. I mean, I think that the distance that we have, like the 20 years between mm. that moment and right now gives us this kind of objectivity of like, okay, this is you know, this is not re- a reality show. Or right. This is not, right, you know, right. there's more neutral forms of entertainment And this is today. why people
3: think that they've never, well, the vast majority of people, Um, think that they've never interacted or met with a trans person because Mm -hmm. they expect the experience to be akin to something like this. This is embedded in the subconscious of America. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, you know, where you dropped your dry cleaning off, you know, she's a trans person or he's a trans man, but they don't expect it. It literally rips the humanity out of trans people and makes it, you know, Sideshow Bob. Very that. Um, Zachary, you're the cinephile of the group.
1: Mm. (laughs) Um, I want to know from you, like, when you think back to some of those early representations of of trans folks, I have here, like, um, when I did that story for the LA Times, I worked with Nick Adams at GLAAD. And one thing that we spoke about a lot was how a lot of those early representations, they... terming them and using the label of trans on them is perhaps what we would do now with the language that we have now. But, like... It's, it's unclear for a lot of those representations. So whether it's like Buffalo Bill in, in Psycho or, you know, Sleepaway Camp or even, even Nip Tuck at, at a point, um, there were just these characters that like either like were like, quote-unquote, cross-dressers or they were, in Buffalo Bill, he was killing women to create a skin out of... to create mm-hmm. a skin for himself out of these women. Um, when you think back to then... What stands out to you about those representations of folks that we might, of characters that we might deem trans today?
4: Yeah, I mean, so much of the origin of the trans movement is around masquerade laws being enforced on, you know, trans femmes um, in public space. When we look at those early representations of, you know, quote-unquote trans people, um, of course, none of that language was used at the time, Mm -hmm. even by people who were living those lives. Like, there was this gender diversity. I mean, I think that, um, Sylvia Rivera, Marsha P. Johnson, Hollywood et L. Al., they all consider themselves gay. They all consider themselves mm-hmm. part of the gay community. And oftentimes, when you meet elders, mm-hmm. they still do. They'll yes. say, "Like yeah. I'm gay." So language kind of shifts, and and you know it's malleable. Um, I think that what was underneath those representations is like a masquerade. You know, it was always, like, a predator, mm-hmm. a scary man who's masquerading as a woman, mm-hmm. which is exactly how, like, all these bathroom laws are being mm-hmm. kind of used against trans people. Um, none of it is rooted in our actual lived mm-hmm. experience or, or you know what I mean, none of it is about creating um, an accurate or authentic picture of, of who gender, you know, nonconforming people are. Um, so... I think that uh, i I try not to even think of those as representations mm-hmm. of trans people, but more like just plot points, yeah, mm. you know, like more just like, but of course, it is all conflated in the public's imagination mm-hmm. of, you know, what does it look like when somebody's assigned male at birth is right in you know, in the world as a woman.
1: Um, Zachary, you mentioned uh, Mavi and Rose earlier. That was in 1997. Mm -hmm. Um, Around that same time, there was another film that I discovered late in life a few years ago, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That starred Kevin Spacey and John Cusack, adapted from a book that was written in 1994 by Clint Eastwood, and it had a... uh, I think people would consider it probably a small role by today's standards. Um, but uh, Lady Chablis Fabulous. played herself um, in this movie. Let's take a look.
2: Excuse
3: me, sir, is this spot taken?
1: No, ma'am. Oh, please don't call me ma'am.
2: My name's
4: Chablis, what's yours?
1: Philip. I'm
3: an escort. Uh, an
4: escort? You work for one of those services?
1: And I'm escorting my sister.
4: Uh, please don't tell me you're doing it with your sister. I love that she comes right out and just announces that she's trans too. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's,
1: it's it's just I this. I, again, I discovered this again a couple years ago, um, shortly after she passed. Mm. Um, and I was doing a story. This was around the time that Alexis Arquette also passed. And I was doing a story on both of those uh, people and personalities and discovering that, you know, in 1997, there was a trans woman playing a trans character, playing herself, mm-hmm. right, um, in this movie that had, you know, major Hollywood billing um what are either your two memories if if at all about um lady chablis in midnight in the garden of good and evil
4: you know julia serrano talks about the two paradigms of, of trans people and representation and it's the pathetic transsexual mm-hmm. and then the deceptive transsexual mm-hmm. so here you have this
3: and the over the top transsexual, yeah. i'd argue
4: absolutely yeah um, this goddess who kind of like levitates out of the wings and enters <laughs> this like very kind of dignified and stuffy table. Like everybody's of people. in
3: black tie and she comes in in this like cobalt blue bedazzled gown. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah.
4: But to get into the nuances of it, it's so interesting that she is this hypersexualized character. Like she couldn't be all those things and also be classy. Mm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but
1: nothing is perfect. I feel like. The early two thousands is when we kick off this moment of of seeing like a lot more trans characters, mm-hmm. um, particularly in movies, um, particularly around this like prestige movie type of thing, yes. where it's it's the Han moment worthy. where mm-hmm. Sundance, you know, it's the it's the <laughs> this this person has somehow like did this amazing transformation, and now we have to award them, you know, Oscars and Golden Globes, yes. um, and all of that. Um, and so that brings me to boys don't cry yeah in 2000
4: Um, and they're all micro budget films also all
1: very small budget films um boys don't cry in particular it was inspired by uh this documentary the brandon tina story um brandon tina uh uh, was a trans man played in the film by hillary swank um who's beaten raped killed by uh Mm -hmm. male acquaintances after they discover he um is trans let's take a look at the trailer really quickly
2: so
3: you're a
0: boy, now what? You want the truth, don't you? No. want to know. Like a long time ago. Got your mother in a world cause she's not sure if you're a boy or a girl.
1: My God. <laughs> Hilary Swank took home the Oscar for that role. Mm. Um, I feel like this is a lot of people's like cinematic reference for uh, a trans person, a trans
3: character. I'd say a trans man trans in man. particular. be specific, yes. It's
4: maybe the only one. Yeah. Also. Yeah. When you think of like a mainstream film. Yeah. Widely Absolutely. seen. That, you know, centers a trans masculine person.
3: The first time I saw Boys Don't Cry, I don't think I was privy to it being, like I didn't know it was based on a true story, mm-hmm. which of course when I found out that it was, it just ripped my heart out even further. Um, That movie, I can't remember what age I saw it, but I remember being a teenager maybe. Um, And, because I didn't see it in theaters, but just like the way that they shot it, like I felt like I was in that town, whatever that gloomy Mm -hmm. Midwest, where were they like Dubuque, Iowa? I don't know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But uh, that movie just really just like, even just watching the trailer just now, still just rips my heart out. Like, when I think about, like, you know, of course all of the bad things that happened, that rape scene. Mm -hmm. I can never watch rape scenes to begin with. But the rape scene and then him ultimately being um, murdered. Boys Don't Cry was a lot to take in. But I remember my mom liking this movie. Mm. Like, she was talking, not liking it, like, you know, like, enthusiastically, but I remember it resonating with her at the time. Like, wow, like, you know, what a film.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's so many interesting directions actually to talk about Boys Don't Cry. I think um, one thing I was thinking about is the uh, trailer for Bad Moms when it came out like a year or two ago. Mm. There was a reference to Boys Don't Cry. Really? Yeah. They were in the dressing room and one of them had like a sports bra on. And she said, What well, is this Boys Don't Cry thing mm. you have going yes. on? And there's outcry from the trans community. And I know that, you know, two of the actors rallied internally to have the line cut did they but, cut it they cut it i
3: was about to say i don't they remember that it. moment wow. in Bat moms <laughs> they sure did
4: they cut it after the trailer came out wow. so it was an interesting moment of like going back to martin going back yes. to you know boys don't cry being shorthand yeah. for a trans woman or mm-hmm. a trans experience um you know these films have become like pillars yeah for you know they become a kind of shorthand yeah in and of themselves And, you know, from Boys Don't Cry,
1: we've got a number of other options in a show I want to talk about that I think it's a a complex show, complex story around the show, but that's transparent. Um, And because it was one of, it was another one of those moments where we had a cis man playing a trans woman, transparent which you were a producer on. Yes. Uh, (laughs) And I was
3: an extra on. You were an extra on? Multiple times. Oh, she's she's an
1: actress. (laughs) Um, But that was also one of, it was one of those moments where we began having this conversation again about, you Mm -hmm. know, cis folks playing trans uh, characters, but it seemed like through transparent that conversation, it took a turn, at least for me as someone who was, who was covering it all, um, because you had, you know, Jill Soloway and Faith Soloway as, as its creators. Um, you had all these other trans folks. Um, I, I remember at the time Jill Soloway saying that um, there was a, a transformative action policy in which um, they made sure that trans folks were at every level of production. Let's take a quick look at the season one trailer.
4: Ew. oh wow. Flashback <laughs> <laughs> So I have something to tell you. Oh my god. Have to tell him no. Yes, Ali's crazy.
0: Tell me what? Dad
2: is a woman. Mom though?
0: Of course I know that. You think I'm a dummy? It's his thing. It's his little private kink. Everyone has one, right, Rabbi?
1: So now, in a, in a pre pose world, this was one of those shows that I think, um, it, it as I said, it helped us kind of jumpstart that conversation about hiring trans folks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not just in front of the camera, but also in the writers' room, also in the costuming department in on the production side of things um the show is wrapping up with a movie musical later this year yeah in september um in september mm. um when you reflect back on on the time period and the conversations we were initially having with this show about trans folks trans representation all of that what sticks out to you
4: Oh, my God, so much. I mean, (laughs) it's almost (laughs) like I don't know where to start. Um, And I think it's worth noting that Joel Soloway, in hindsight, talks about, you know, given the chance, they would have cast it differently. Right. Um, And I think the challenge at the time was getting a show, you know, Mm -hmm. with a green light um, and not having a major actor attached to it. Um, I oftentimes wonder, like, would the show have been made without Jeffrey Tambor? Um, I came on at a point where, um, you know, Reese Ernst and I, uh, who produced, you know, produced the show, worked as producers on the show together, um, were able to build out the narrative mm-hmm. um, to include more characters. To bring people in behind the camera, um, I think that it opened the door for professionalizing opportunities mm-hmm. for for so many people and set a precedent of inclusion. And that's the the kind of tangible thing that I'm really proud of mm-hmm. um, when it comes to Transparent. Um, it was five years, you know, of 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 my life personally. Um, so I have a lot rolled up into it. Um, I think that in talking about representations of trans people, it's easy to forget that there are also trans folks who look like Maura mm-hmm. out in the world, you know, and that um, we're not all these, like, Lady Chablis glamorous <laughs> goddesses, you know? Like, there are plenty of late-transitioning yeah. folks that come out in film I mean, I think that Transparent was the first time we saw protagonist who is trans who was surrounded by a family Mm -hmm. right like who is not just the satellite isolated person on their own um and so i think there's a lot of kind of like uh it was you know it really pushed the needle forward um it was, for me, like a reset mm-hmm. also of culture. You know what I mean? I think that really was, I think 2014 really was a turning point. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were so many other factors. Laverne Cox mm-hmm. on, uh, Katie Couric. Um, oh, Lord. Janet Moggs. <laughs> um, what a
0: moment. Yeah. What a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Which Katie, we're going to get to. Katie still is talking yes. about that. Yes.
4: <laughs> but that was such an incredible shift yeah. that we witnessed. Yeah. And I think that, you know, a big part of it was, the narratives that started coming out with Orange is the New Black. I mean, that was huge. Major. We'll be right back with more of this great conversation after these messages.
0: Crooked Minis is brought to you by Quip. It's time for a spring cleaning. Quip's got an easy way to start with your brushing habits. Just two minutes twice a day can help you pave the way to a healthier mouth and a healthier mind. And now the whole family can get refreshed with Quip. Really? The new Quip Kids has a two-minute timer and guiding pulses as our original version with no childish gimmicks, so they can brush just like the grown-ups. The new kid's brush is the same as the original version, just tweaked for size-down mouths. Kids are inspired to brush better and more often with oral care that looks and feels like the products the adults use in their life, and they're proud to use Quip. Help them develop a grown-up routine without childish gimmicks. Kid-friendly features like a small brush head watermelon anti-cavity toothpaste, yum, and rubber grip handles and colors. Where can I get my hands above that watermelon toothpaste? I don't know. Here's how you do it. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just five bucks, a friendly reminder when it's time to refresh and stay committed to your oral health. That's why we love Quip. I use Quip. John uses Quip. Hannah uses Quip. Emily uses Quip. We all love Quip. My sister has a Quip. People we know with child-sized mouths use Quip, I guess. Yes, that's why over a million happy, healthy mouths use Quip. Quip starts at just 25 bucks. Go to getquip.com slash crookedminis right now. You can get your first refill pack for free, Get your first refill pack free at GetQuip.com slash Crooked Minis. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: Let's play a little bit of this clip right here.
3: I think that the preoccupation with transition and with surgery objectifies trans people and then we don't get to really really deal with the real lived experiences. The reality of of trans people's lives is that so often we're targets of violence. We experience discrimination disproportionately to the rest of the um, um, community. Um, Our unemployment rate is twice the national average. If you're a trans person of color it's four times the national average. The homicide rate in the LGBT community is highest amongst trans women and if if we, we focus on transition we don't actually get the talk about those things.
1: I think this was, like, one of those moments where there was a lot of education happening. Um, yes. in, in these quick, soundbitey y type moments, Laverne had all of the facts, all of the figures. She was backstage, um, cool. ready. <laughs> for, she, was. she was prepping, uh-huh. right? Um, and, like, this was just... I just remember this being a moment in which I... As somebody who was covering media was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I was able. I know for me, when I was at the L.A. Times at the time, we began having conversations about how we cover trans folks. Right. Mm. Um, And it was because of moments like this. What do you two remember about this time period, 2013, 2014, as the, the transgender tipping point kind of ushered itself in?
3: Laverne, I think that that like what you said, like when you were at the L.A. Times, how the conversation shifted Mm -hmm. around uh, how trans people are covered because around this time, people were still focusing and sensationalizing around the transition and the genitalia. And it's like we are facing the community as a whole on the margins of society and facing all these other things, literally 101 different other things. And those conversations need to be elevated Mm -hmm. instead of. Instead of focusing so much on uh, passing privilege, because that was that's a really big thing mm-hmm. p- as far as socio politically, and and what's going on in between your legs. Right. Right.
1: What about for you, Zachary?
4: Oh, it's tough because, like, my first instinct is to say that this was the moment when we when we reclaimed the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Laverne. I met Laverne when I was 20 years old in New York City. We were on a student film together, and she was one of the first trans women I met and became friends with and knew. And then seeing her on P. Diddy, and then seeing her in this moment, you know, years later, I couldn't have thought of a more perfect person Mm. to represent our community. I mean, she's a true intellectual and wordsmith, and she's an incredible advocate and public person i mean she's just like the entire package um so i think what the world waiting was waiting for was laverne cox ultimately to have that platform to be in this space um where she was able to reach you know Mm -hmm. that many people and to to challenge i think the power dynamic of the person who's uh being viewed yeah and the person who's, you know, writing the script. Um, I think that those moments happened in smaller ways on those talk shows. And sometimes yeah. I you know, because mm-hmm. I watched like um Kate Bornstein yes. on on like Sally Jesse. Yes. Or, you know, there were always those moments where somebody was, you know, willing to be like, I'm a freak. I'm I'm like, yeah. <laughs> not normal. You know, like all the things that you, all the notions that you have about trans people are wrong. Um, but maybe it wasn't happening on uh, the same kind of scale.
3: But this was I remember this being like a good time. Mm-hmm. Like as far as like the trans tipping point, like you said, I remember this being like 2013, 2014, even 2015 yeah. when when Caitlyn sat down with Diane Sawyer and that just skyrocketed and just changed a whole bunch of conversation. Mm-hmm. I remember for the most part, when I think back to that time, it being a positive because people really were. Interested, I mean, I felt like I was filling some quotas sometimes, like, oh, we need a trans person for this, 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 mm-hmm. this, you know. Yeah. But for the most part, I feel like people really were interested in learning the nuances of everybody's story. Mm. Uh, and so I remember this being a good time, a, a positive, more so than negative. Yeah, yeah I, and I think
1: when I look back on it, you know, we had the transgender tip point, tipping point with, with Laverne. Tangerine came out. Um, yes. Glee was doing its moment. I was um, I know you were. <laughs> the episode in which Alex Newell comes back after Dot Marie Jones' character, uh, Coach Beast, comes out as trans and transitions, and there's a massive choir yes of trans folks like 200 trans folks by 300 300 trans folks it was a lot singing of yeah. uh, <laughs> singing i know where i've been and i i was watching that video last night and cried all over again
3: well let me tell you that was a 13 hour work day and that was some of the best crafty i've ever had on it <laughs> <laughs> no they really took care of us but uh I remember that just being such a magical day. That was my first time doing extra work in California. Mm-hmm. I think I had only been in LA for a few months when we did that. And um, there were a lot of tears shed. We granted, we had to do that song over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Like they got like a million and one different angles. Mm-hmm. It was the crane camera, the zoom, they were zooming out. But I remember uh, that just being such a magical day and the emotion in the room never changed. Mm. (laughs) Like, it never changed. Like, my feet was hurt and I was tired. I was thirsty. But we, that song and the way that Alex Newell delivered that song and then was singing live over the track in the moment. We're singing. It was a lot. If you all haven't seen that clip, you got to pull up. It's I Know Where I've Been from Glee and pull up the visual because it um, it will send so good. it will make the hairs on the back of your neck let's stand play up. a little bit of it I know
1: I just remember wow. seeing this and this, because this was like in, I think I think it aired in like February 2015. Yes. While all of this other stuff is going we on. We filmed it
3: in November of 2014.
1: At that same moment, you have uh, Her Story, the web series, having its <sighs> moment. It would go on yeah. to get an Emmy nomination. Shout out um, to Angelica Ross. And Angelica Jen Ross, Jen Richards, The Danish Girl with Eddie Redmayne was mm-hmm. this year. There was just like so... Much happening, um, and I think as we go on, right, we 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 are all a little bit more familiar with like these moments of trans representation. Uh, a shout out to Brian Michael Smith uh, in his role on yeah. Queen Sugar, yeah, um, which was trans amazing man representation yes, yet again, which was amazing. And then obviously, right now we have Pose as the behemoth. That it is. (laughs) And, you know, it made history as being the the show with, like, the most uh, uh, series regulars, uh, trans folks. It has trans folks in and out all over the production of it. Janet Mock directed her first episode of television Mm -hmm. in this and wrote her first episode of television um, with this. Um, When you all look at, like, this, where we are now when it comes to, to trans representation, what... How do you feel about it? Are you optimistic? Are you hopeful? Are you are you still mad about something?
4: Like, how do you feel now? I think, you know, I think that like <clears throat> 2014, everything that we just kind of summarized mm-hmm. broke the conversation open mm-hmm. in a very public way. Um, I was always bracing myself for a backlash. I think we all were. I mm-hmm. mean, I feel like that was something that we actively talked about. Like it was like, too
3: good in 2014. <laughs> yes,
4: it was. But we also knew that, you know, because yeah. we had lived our whole lives hiding yeah. ultimately in one way or another. Um, before Laverne, I never saw a professionalized trans person, period. Mm-hmm. You know, any mm-hmm. professionalized trans people I knew were, st- you know, non-disclosing. I almost said stealth. I know we're not supposed to say that anymore. We're not?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I was to the same for me. The, okay, I'm going to say non-disclosing. Thank you. You yes. just taught me something. <laughs> yeah. I did not you know we couldn't say stealth anymore. There's a lot of words we're not supposed to say. <laughs> uh. But, you know, like
4: having Laverne as this empowered trans person mm-hmm. yeah. out there. Um, you know, the conversation is happening whether we like it or not, I mm-hmm. think at this point. And the right is obsessed. You know, everything yes. I hear about... Um, media outlets on the right is that they're really obsessed with yeah. trans people, even much more so than the left. The left is trying not to talk about trans people too much because ultimately we're a wedge issue. Right. We're like, you know, we're the gay marriage of the 90s. Yeah, um, And, you know, they're afraid that it's, I mean, I think that and then at the same time, like Obama was the first president to use the word transgender. All of...
3: Hire trans people. Absolutely. You know, on, on staff.
4: Yeah. Um, and now we have you know these Democrat incumbent uh, hopefuls who are all willing to speak to trans rights. There's a trans equality congressional task force. Really? Absolutely. It's headed by Joe Kennedy. Okay. You know, I think that the the difference is today we have allies. You know, we have people in high places who are advocating for our rights. Um, We're not alone. Mm -hmm. You know, like, uh, I think that we're witnessing a time when social justice movements have really reached kind of peak activity. I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, organizations to support, but a lot Mm -hmm. of these organizations are um, being buoyed by this time. And I think that we're actually moving quickly. I think the future is... Better and worse. I think that things move in both directions. And all we can do is be on the right side of history.
3: For me, the other shoe dropping has been um, extremely kind of traumatizing, mm-hmm. right? Because I want to celebrate and, you know, like we were mentioning, 2014 was just a around that time, the tipping point. It was such a good time. And now it just feels... I feel like... I don't want to say the moment has passed, but the buzz around trans folk uh, for celebration in particular mm. I feel like has gotten a little stale. Like, people really aren't... It's not really happening at the rate that it was really, you know, in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, which could... I I, I I don't want to say it's a good thing, but I feel like it's like, oh, it, it's normalized now. Like, mm. okay, he's trans, she's trans, they're trans, you know, type mm-hmm. thing. Um, but... When I look at things, not to not to bring a gray cloud over the conversation, but when I look at statistics of, you know, murder rates for trans, black trans women and, you know, unemployment rates and things like that, it's it gets extremely overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It can get extremely overwhelming.
1: That's something I was going to ask. I feel like we're having this unprecedented moment, particularly in trans visibility, um, but we're also having a similarly unprecedented moment, at least in in documented um, killings of trans women in particular. Majority who have been women of color, the majority of which who have been Black women. Yes. Right? Um, How are we? How can we? How are you, like, reconciling this this moment where these two disparate, seemingly disparate things are happening?
3: For me like I said, it's been overwhelming and I still, I can't find, I wish I had the language to articulate how I feel Mm -hmm. because I feel a responsibility as a journalist to keep my finger to the pulse, to always have a hot take on something, but being a black trans woman operating just in my Mm day-to-day in Los Angeles can be exhausting sometimes, especially with the visibility of it. You know, um, I don't have, I feel like if I have disclosed, like, if you know me, then you know, but I still have privilege of if you don't know me, then likely you won't mm-hmm. know. But just operating in certain spaces and hearing certain conversations and and people's ideas, like, I feel like, I almost feel duped in that I thought that us as a society were in one place, but then you hear certain conversations being had and it's like, oh... No, like, that's not... Mm -hmm. We all aren't on the same page when it comes to uh, trans people just operating and and living life in society. And so it's been, in particular, a hard pill for me to swallow. Um, I was talking to you before we... Recorded. I just got back from Mexico last week. My phone was off. I did not have service. I wanted to relax. I wanted to take in the air and, and you know, have some chips and guac and mind my business. And then I get back and it's been three trans women of—three black trans women who've been murdered. I'm saying that, you know, the Trump administration doesn't want trans people in in homeless shelter. It, it, it feels like an extermination. Mm-hmm. It feels like everywhere that I turn, damn near weekly— like you said, with with the right being obsessed, like Zachary said, with the right being obsessed with trans things, it's like all of these rollback type laws and initiatives being proposed that it makes it hard to function. Mm-hmm. It, it brings on a lot of anxiety for me because I do not know what the future looks like, and it, it is hard, if I'm being honest, to be optimistic. I'm a very optimistic and naturally happy person, but you know when you dive deep into into the to the CNN and the and, you know, in articles, it it gets hard. And yeah. I'm stumbling over my words because it's very emotional for me to even think about because it's like I want to celebrate life and live my life and I have that privilege. But also, would anybody care if something happened to me? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not my sister's keeper. I am my sister. So when I see these stories, it's mm. it's jarring every day. It's just jarring for me. So.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think that for me, with great privilege comes great responsibility. And I think that um, as a white trans woman, I feel a lot of responsibility for using my platform um, for racial justice, for economic justice, for, um, you know, to have those difficult conversations with people around me. And I think that that's what white allies can do and what cis allies can do out there Mm -hmm. is have those difficult conversations with their right-leaning family members. I know so many folks who are not, you know, just are unwilling for for that difficulty, Mm -hmm. for that level of difficulty. Um, It's, I think, the best of times and the worst of times, and it's all happening, and it's such a noisy world. So, you know, this, like, prerogative of Mm self-preservation, right, comes in, and people are, are exhausted. I mean, I think that, like, the luster... Of celebration has worn off entirely, Absolutely. and like when we're down the road, we might look back on these years. Hopefully, Trump will be a one-term president, and think like, "Wow, we survived that." Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> yeah, we we're crossing survived that. Jesus, have mercy, um, well, really. And it's hard not to be jaded. I mean, the thing is, like, the Supreme Court for you know the next generation might actually be really stacked against us as things move up from these lower courts yes. and these bigger decisions happen. Um, there are, I, th- I think, people in powerful places advocating for our rights that are not going to let, you know, an actual extermination happen. Um, but it is within our recent memory, right? Yeah. And it is happening in this kind of, uh, ha- you know, chaotic way.
3: It's happening in real time. Mm-hmm. And the best— the. The best way I can describe it is just feeling burnt out. Mm-hmm. I feel like I had around the transgender tipping point. I feel like I had a little bit more energy yeah. to take to to Twitter and thread together something mm-hmm. or or make a video or something and, and have like a real solid something to say versus now it's almost like I just want to be in the fetal position in my bed and leave and shut the blinds.
1: I feel like a lot of the, the crooked media audience uh, are folks that, you know seem like they want to help, want to support, what can they do? Um, what should they be doing? Is there organizations that they could be, you know, putting their, you know, ex- ex- what is it, disposable income toward? What what can they do to, like, support trans folks?
4: You know, I think right now it would be incredibly helpful for people to look up homeless shelters in their cities, mm. you know, in their local communities. Um and support those shelters. I mean, I think that's really essential. Homelessness is a huge impediment to the trans community's advancement. We have, you know, difficulty with employment. We're yes. often thrown out by our families. Um, I think, you know, right now, that supporting homeless shelters that open uh, uh, their doors to trans folks is essential. Um, but then, any any local trans-led organization here in Los Angeles, you have Trans Latina Coalition. Uh, you have the Trans Wellness Center. You have uh, St. St. John's, John's <laughs> Trans Health Program, which offers like free and low-cost uh, health care to anybody, regardless of documentation. Um, at the national level, you have the National Center for Trans Equality, which is in Washington, D.C., um, lobbying for the rights of trans people mm-hmm. at a federal level. Um, and then you have the legal organizations that are really uh, leading the – the Fight, like Lambda. ACLU, Lambda, mm-hmm. um, TLD, the Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund, mm-hmm. uh, Trans Law
1: Center. I was gonna
3: say, there's one other trans law center, yeah.
4: So there's
1: places that they can support. And I, one thing I often say is I think also being like visible and vocal supporters goes a long way as well. Um, and so that for me is like... Showing up at the rallies, yes. Uh, uh, when you see uh, a trans person who's like tweeted out a GoFundMe, put a couple dollars
3: toward them, you know. Like I, I just and, feel like and 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 to all trans people because I know I've noticed on social media in particular, there's biases to uh, passing quote mm. unquote trans women. Um, I'm going to speak specifically to trans women in this moment. So I've noticed that there's been biases towards passing trans women or trans women deemed attractive and it's like like I mentioned earlier I'm not my sister's keeper I am my sister so even the girls that don't necessarily pass Mm -hmm. even the girls who you don't necessarily want to sleep with or can't imagine being your best friend type thing those women deserve the same amount of respect and dignity that you'd give someone who you'd find quote unquote more palatable Mm -hmm. to you you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's a conversation that definitely needs to be elevated because I feel like a lot of cis people in particular do not understand it or they just turn a blind eye when it comes to uh, non-passing trans women. Well, thank
1: you all both so much for joining us. Thank, thank you, you, Travelle, Travelle
3: thank this y'all. was fun.
1: Thanks to Zachary and Shar for helping me break this moment of trans representation down. And it is my hope that over these four episodes of Pride on Screen that you've taken the time to not only reflect on the moments of LGBTQ plus representation that impacted you, but also to figure out how you can help support and advocate on behalf of LGBTQ plus people. We've come a long way, but we're not at the promised land yet. As always, you can find me tweeting my life away at Travel Anderson. It has been my pleasure taking you on this journey. And until you hear my voice again, slay on.
0: Life is a highway.